All right. Let's pray, and then we'll get uh, we'll get started. Father, thank you for uh, this beautiful evening, and thank you for Moses and Christopho and the family for hosting. Just thank you for um, the wonderful food and uh, the warm kindness that they exude. We ask your blessing on their family. Lord, thank you for each person that you brought tonight, and uh, Lord, help us with uh, with the questions we're going to look at today. Lord, I pray that you would um, just bring enrichment to our minds and our soul, and uh, that you would lead this evening. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is our, our first, this is actually our second Thursday thing. We did a worship night here a couple months ago, which was phenomenal. But this is like our first Thursday Bible study, which we're trying out just once a month just to see. And then, obviously, it seems like there's a lot of interest, so then we'll have to see to go from there. And hopefully we won't uh, outgrow that. We have to stand and play the <laughs> So we're, the thing we're doing on Thursdays right now is going to be um, answering a question um, so it's a massive topic I've chosen for tonight that I hope I can get through. And it's the question of uh, our scripture, our Bible. How do we get our Bible? Uh, why are these the books included in our Bible? And what about those other books that people talk about? And uh, what the, what's the process that the Bible came about? And for some of us, it might be review. For some, it might be brand new. Uh, but I'm hoping to sort of lay out my understanding of how the canon of Scripture came to be. And this is something I've done in classes before. So some of it tonight will be a little more academic, okay? Um, but it's the whole point is so that we have confidence that what we hold in our hands is from the Lord, all right? And, uh, and that there weren't any latecomers that didn't make it in and... You know how it is, you, know, you watch, you watch um, sometimes you watch programs like on History Channel, and they say, you know, at the church, you know, they were just so mean, they, they left these other books out of the Bible, and how dare they do that, you know, and it's always put in that light, you know, what about those other books, and so we're going to talk about that, okay? So the, the, the topic is, is called canon, and canon means rule, it, it's a measuring word, like, like ruler or leader. It's a standard, and it's the scripture is a standard of our life. It's it's we are uh, we stand under its authority, right? Its authority of our lips. That's the way we read it, and we uh, take every word seriously. Uh, even Jesus uh, hints at the fact that even a vertence is inspired by God. Am I echoing, or is that a little bit? A little bit okay. That's just so cool. So, I'm going to do this. Is if you look at our Bible, we know we have Old Testament and we have New Testament. All right. And some Bibles they have books in between. Right? They're called the Apocrypha. And some of them have books afterwards. <laughs> They're also called the Apocrypha, which means hidden writings. Right. So I want to go through in the Scripture. How was the Old Testament developed? You know, how how did that develop? And then, 
how did they know that these were supposed to be the ones, you know? <laughs> then we'll go and talk about the New Testament, some idea. Then we'll talk about these other books, because it's always like, what about these books, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and so, first of all, the whole idea of having a, a complete canon of Scripture is in Scripture. So now, get your Bibles ready, because we're going to look at a lot of Scripture, okay? So look, first of all, at Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, we're looking at verse 2. Just a, this is just preliminary. Deuteronomy 4, 2. And just this gives an idea for the idea of the canon of Scripture. Deuteronomy 4, 2 says, You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor shall you take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. So the idea is don't add to it or take away. Like, this is what I'm giving you, and this is the authority, okay? Uh, uh, he says the same idea in chapter 12, but don't turn to Turn to chapter 31. Do it over 31. <clears throat> is everyone okay? Mm-hmm. All right. What do you ask? Yes. Hey, how are you doing, brother? Are you okay? Please break. Okay, Deuteronomy 31. We're going to look at just another scripture here. Just the idea of having a canon or a rule of scripture. Deuteronomy 31 and verse 24. And it happened when Moses finished writing the words of this law in a book until they were complete that Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh saying, take this book of the law and place it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God that it may be there as a witness against you. So the instructions are take this book which happens to be Deuteronomy. It happens to be part of, the, part of the Torah, which we'll explain in a second. And he says, place it there um, beside the Ark. Now, in the Ark, of course, was the Ten Commandments. We'll get to that in a second. Um, New Testament also has its verses that talk about the canon. Second uh, Peter 3.15 talks about Paul's writings as being Scripture. Revelation 22, verse 6. Look at Revelation. Might as well just go there. <laughs> Revelation, just 22. It's like the last part of Revelation. Uh, I'm going to look at two verses. Verse 6 and verse 18 and 19. Three verses. And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits, this God, God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his slaves the things which soon must take place. And behold, I am coming quickly... Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now, he's speaking specifically about Revelation, but the implication is also, 
Blessed are those who follow the, the rest of the word of God. Skip on down to verse 18. And this is John writing, who's the author of Revelation. I bear witness to everyone that everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book, this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. Okay, so let's just not yet. They all believe the scripture. Now let's just go through real fast as far as how that was developed. First of all, it starts off with the Ten Commandments, okay? So let's go back to the Old Testament. Go back to the book of Exodus, um, chapter 31, real fast, okay? And this is just just uh, of going through uh, the development of the Old Testament. Exodus 31. And... In verse uh, 18. When he had finished speaking with them upon Mount Sinai, he gave Moses the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written by the finger of God. So there's the start, right? This, there's the start, is the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Hey, the sound of children means the sound of life. Yes. Amen? Yes. So God bless the children. We love the little ones. Um, go to chapter 32 real fast. Exodus 32. And verse 16. Same idea. Now the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on tablets. So first of all, you have the, the idea of God writing words, the Ten Commandments, right? So, so um, Moses gets these tablets, and he's instructed later on to place them in the ark. In fact, go to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy 31, verse 24. And it happened... When Moses finished writing the words of this law in a book, when they were complete, until they were complete, that Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and place it inside or beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there as a witness against you. I think I already just read that. Here's the idea. In the Ark itself were the Ten Commandments. As God gave more of the law, which included Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, right? If the first five books of the Old Testament is called the Torah, it's called the law, right? Moses, of course, probably has, either God gives him the revelation uh, for the book of Genesis, or he has already tablets or writing made available to him so that he can compile them and tell the whole story. The idea, though, is that the book, the first five books, was called the book of Moses, it's also called the law. It's called the, the Pentateuch. Pentateuch five. Torah uh, was the uh, is what we call it now. And so you have this idea of the law then being uh, being scripture. Now let's add. Now let's add to the next thing. So so far we have the first five books, right? But then we go to the book of Joshua. Go to the book of Joshua, and chapter twenty four. <clears throat> 
Joshua 24, verse 26. Can everybody, everybody's there? Yep. And it says, And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. So that's an addition. The, the, the idea from the book of Joshua now is being added. right? So things are being added to the, to the scripture. Then you have the, the writings of the prophets. Of course, the prophets are, are told by God, hey, thus saith the Lord, right? And the prophets sometimes spoke, right? And sometimes their words got written down, right? And what was written down, of course, made it into the singing book. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and you know, others, right? So we have their writings. And when the prophets spoke in the Old Testament, it was the Word of God. Okay, that, which is why, you know, nowadays we don't say, thus saith the Lord. Because that's Old Testament prophet language. Because when they spoke, that was God's Word speaking through them. Right? And to obey that was to obey the Word of God, because that was the Word of God. So that's why... The criteria for becoming a prophet in the Old Testament was so strict. Like, no, you couldn't bat, you know, 500. <laughs> you had to bat 1,000, right, yeah. with, your, with your words, you know. And, and, and that's a whole other thing with, uh, with prophecy and everything. But So then you have the third part. You have the writings of the prophet, and then you have the writings itself, which are the, uh, the Psalms, Ecclesiastes, things like that. So the Old Testament is divided into three parts. The law... The prophets and the writings, okay. The Torah, right? The uh, the the Nevi'im and the Ketuvim, which is Hebrew, and and the abbreviation is the Tanakh, T-N-K, and you'll hear Jewish people call, talk about the, the Tanakh. That's the Old Testament, basically. That's our Old Testament, okay. And now they group their books differently. So they like we have twelve minor prophets. They have it as one book. Because it's it fit onto one scroll, <laughs> you know, or they'll combine Jeremiah and Lamentations into one scroll, yeah, right, or Ruth and uh, I think Judges into one scroll. And so they'll combine them differently in some of the Kings and Chronicles, but it's the same. We have thirty nine books; they have about twenty two. It's the same content, just divided differently, right? So then you have, in the course of history, you have the the Temple. Um, you know, the temple was built, and they had the sacred writings, the scrolls, are kept in the temple, right? That's where the Torah scrolls and the Old Testament was kept. And uh, and then after the temple was destroyed, uh, there was a time when they, did, they lost the scrolls until the time of, of King Josiah. And when Josiah, when they found the, the Torah scroll in Josiah's time, uh, go to 2 Kings 23... Actually, uh, 22 but, first. Let's go to 2 Kings 22. But, <clears throat> but, but, no. How are we on time? Yeah, okay. That's 10 minutes fast. Let's pray the prayer of Joshua. Lord, make the sun stand still. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we're good. So in 2 Kings 22, verse 8, Hilkiah finds the scroll. It says, Then Hilkiah the high priest 
said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And he gave it to uh, Shaphan, and he read it. Okay, so this is a big deal. Okay, that they that they found that the scroll of um, of the Lord. Now skip down to chapter twenty three and verse um, verse uh, one and two and three. Let's go there. Then the king sent, and they gathered to him all the elders of the king and Jerusalem, and the king went up to the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with them and the priests and the prophets and all the people who broke small and great and he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which was found in the house of the Lord now this is a big deal because they had been without they had been without a Bible for years okay so when he reads it Verse 3, Then the king stood by the pillar and cut a covenant before the, the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, with all his soul, and to establish the words of this covenant that were written in the book, and all the people entered into the covenant. Okay? So, this was a big deal, because then it led to their reforms. They realized, Josiah hears and reads the scripture, and they realized, we're not following What's said here, and so he cleans house, basically. Okay, institutes all kinds of because of the word of God. Okay, uh, and then of course after uh, the temple was destroyed, then they became very serious about the study of scripture. In fact, the history of the Pharisees go back because they realized that they had been kicked out of the land because they weren't following the law, and so they took it very seriously. Now they, they took it now to a different level of seriousness, but that was their intent, was we don't want to go away and be kicked out like we were before, okay? It, so far, it's an interesting point during that time when they didn't have access to the Word of God. Notice in verses 5, Six and seven. Yes. The very things that had to be removed from yes. the house of God because the people didn't have the Word of God and all the perversions yep. and all the things that entered in right into the house of God. The same thing's true today without the Word yeah. of God. See, that's why, and that's part of the reason why we're doing this because this is so foundational. Yes. That we have the Word of God. Amen. But we've neglected it. Not Maybe not in this room. But a lot of times in the church, we have neglected what's written in the Word of God. And now all kinds of nonsense are, are coming into the church. And we're like, well, what happened? Yep. Well, you, yep. you didn't follow my word. Yep. It's that simple, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's... And you're right. And so uh, that's why we're going through and, uh, and taking the time to, uh, uh, to look at this. Um, In fact, I, I just want to point out, first of all, Jesus. So, so the development of the canon comes, it comes, and they know they they know it stops at the end of at Malachi and Zechariah's time. Okay. For one, the the outside of the Bible, the the, the, the the Jewish writings, the Talmud, they comment. And I'll quote what it says here. It says, since the death of the last prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, the Holy Spirit about prophetic inspiration depart from Israel. In other words, after Malachi and Zechariah, they, they understood that 
the giving of the word of God stopped. Now let's go to a couple passages in in uh, Malachi and uh, and Zechariah. Go to in fact go to the end of Malachi. All right, Malachi is right before Matthew, so let's just go there. Is it it uh, he actually kind of hints at this at the end of Malachi. Malachi. He's the Italian prophet. Yes, right. So Malachi four it says, talking about the day of the Lord that's coming, and that's what they're the last thing he's ending on. Skip on down, verse five. Malachi four five says, "Behold, I am going to send you alive to the prophet before the coming of the great and awesome day." Of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land, devoting it to destruction. Okay, so that's the last thing said. The last thing is that is this Elijah is coming back. Yep. Now you skip on 400 years later to the New Testament. Who's the first person on the scene? John the Baptist. Yep. Mm-hmm. So Jesus says he is Elijah. I've come to prepare the way of the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. So, so you have this 400... I'm not used to all this fancy technology here. <laughs> you know, I'm, 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 I'm Italian, part of Italian, so I got the... So you have this 400 years of silence, okay? So let's just stop right there. The Old Testament's developed, okay? Malachi, right? Malachi. Now I'm saying that. Malachi. Got me going here. Malachi recognizes that that's it until Elijah's coming back to make way for the Lord. Um, and uh, in fact, even Zechariah um, hints at that in Zechariah chapter 1. So they know it's, it's completed. The Jews recognize that. Hold on. Let me fix this here. I got a, I got a woodpecker on my, my stand here. That's better. All right. So they recognize that the Old Testament canon is complete. You see, what's the big deal? Okay. <laughs> In that 400 years between Malachi and Matthew, yeah. it's called the intertestamental period, other books were written. Other books that, you know, were even found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And some of them had great things to say, and some of them have crazy things to say. According, the Jews never accepted these middle books as inspirational. Okay? They're also called deuterocanonical. So, deutero means second, right? Second, deutero, Deuteronomy, second law. Deutero, deut, namas is law, deutero is second. So, the proto-canonical um, books are the Old Testament. The Deuterocanonical books are these apocryphal books that are good for entertainment, they're good for education, they're good for history, but they were never on the level of Scripture. Ever. (laughs) Until 1546 when the Catholic Church added to them, but we will get that in a second because that's a whole other thing, okay? So... We say, well, what about books that were written in Hebrew? They're really old. Doesn't that, don't they get to line up in the running? No, if a book was old, it doesn't mean that it was inspired scripture. In fact, even, and I didn't reference this, I can um, 
those books mentioned within the writings of the Old Testament, they reference other books that predate that book. So like Joshua references a uh, book of Joshua, I think it is, or uh, some other book that was already written, but it didn't make it in the scripture. So if it's old, it doesn't mean it gets to make it, because even Moses' writings makes it in. He saw a lot, right? If it's written in Hebrew, big deal. <laughs> There's a lot of things written in Hebrew, right? Even if it was written in Hebrew and it was old and it had religious value, does not mean that it gets to make it in the scripture. Right? Now here's the thing, I have to clarify. The process of accepting the book in the scripture wasn't like was often portrayed, you know, they got a smoke-filled room, a couple guys, their cigars, you know, deciding, you know, Malachi makes it in, you know, and Maccabees doesn't make it. That wasn't the process. Because no man can determine or can make a book inspired. So we're talking about inspiration. We're talking about the process from God to man and how God oversaw that process for them to write that book. Okay? That's a whole other topic. We'll get to that another time. Okay? So man doesn't make anything inspired. Other than that, oh, I got inspired to read this book. I'm I'm talking about divinely inspired where God is speaking. Man man can only recognize what is already inspired. And the horse of the history, obviously, with just the books I went through, they recognize what was inspired. Okay? And then who gets to write scripture? In the Old Testament, it had to be obviously a man of God, Moses, or the prophets. Right? Or it had to be somebody that was recognized. And so some books were not readily accepted early on, like the book of Esther. The book of Esther was not accepted for a long time because it never mentions God. But obviously God's hand is behind the scenes. And I think that more fits a lot of our lives. Many times God, we don't hear God speak every Tuesday morning, you know. Thus they, hey, let's, you know, <laughs> I don't know, maybe you do, but I don't. But in my life, God often works behind the scenes. Or I look back, and we talk about this, you know, look back and realize when the hand of God has been there, right? Yeah. So, in order to write, you had to be, as a prophet, you had to be uh, recognized as a prophet, and your prophecies had to come true, and you couldn't contradict each other. Figure that out, right? Which, some of the books that come in the middle do contradict the scripture. Uh, some are just completely wrong in their dates, and some have crazy stories, um, which I won't read them to you right now, but um, yeah, so far so good. Yeah. So a book had to have been written by somebody that had a divine authority, and of course, it had to have been written in the Old Testament before 400 B- before 400 BC. So if it's after 400 BC, it doesn't make it. I mean, for New Testament, right? So that's why a lot of these older books. Don't come in, okay? Jesus also and his disciples never quote from any of these middle books I'm calling, right? They only quote from the Old Testament. Jesus talks about, in fact, he gives a, a uh, he gives a parameter of what what scripture is um, as far as the, the the dates. He refers to, in fact, go to. Um, Go to Matthew 23. Go to Matthew 23. And you'll see Jesus' commentary on this. You know, it was cold outside. Now it's kind of warm. I don't know. Is it just me? Yeah. It's a little warm. warm. I'll just pull up on here. (laughs) There you go. All right. Is that so far so good? Yeah. Okay. 
You know, it's really cool. There's no clock in front of me, so I can go as long as I want. Behind you, it's 10 minutes fast. It's right behind you. It's 10 minutes fast. It's in the future. So in Matthew 23, just real quick, look here. And verse 34. this, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth. Now here's this parameter. From the blood of righteous Abel. When was Abel killed? Genesis 4. In the beginning. To the blood of Zechariah, the son of uh, Bechariah. Uh, he was uh, killed in Second Chronicles 24, which happens to be the last book of the Hebrew Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Ours ends with Malachi. Their, theirs ends with Second Chronicles. And the reason is because Chronicles is written after the, the return from the deportation, and they're reflecting back on what they just went through, and they're realizing... Okay, we need a Davidic Messiah. So Chronicles looks like kings, but it leaves us, it focuses mostly on the line of David and gives you some interpretive things. And so that's the last book of their of the Old Testament in Hebrew uh, Hebrew Bible. So he's going. Here's a parameter from Abel, during his blood, to, to Zechariah's blood. That's the limits. And of course, he quotes uh, Jesus quotes from uh, all parts of the Bible um, of the Old Testament. Um, the law, the prophets, the writings, and uh, yeah, so, and then you have a lot of people outside the Bible to talk about the, the, the limits, and I have a whole list, I'm not going to go through it, all to say is, by the time Jesus comes on the scene, the Old Testament's complete. Now, here's a question. In that intertestamental period, there was something called, that was written called the Septuagint, you guys know what Septuagint is? Mm-hmm. Okay. The Septuagint or Septuagint, it's often represented by the letters LXX, 70. Roman numerals. Hey, Roman numeral education helped out, right? <laughs> okay. That is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. Yes. That's the Bible that was also available during the first century. So if you read the book of Hebrews, he often quotes from the Septuagint. The Septuagint included some of these apocryphal writings, not because they were scripture, but just they just wanted to collect the writings. And the Jews always recognized scripture as scripture, and the secondary books as being secondary. So you got to keep that in mind. The Old Testament, 39 books that we have, and the apocrypha were on two different levels. They said these books are good for edification, for history but they are not for authoritative doctrinal listening to, right? And Jesus would have uh, understood. Now, that's the, the reason why Greek Orthodox include those books. Is they say, well, it was included in, this, in the Septuagint. That's why they have it in their Bible. And they actually have a few more than the Catholics do, so that's a whole other story. That's a whole other history. So, so far, so good? Yeah. Okay. So what are these Apocrypha books? Okay. Um... Thank <laughs> you.
1,500 years of church history and for all of the 400 years of intertestamental period, the start, you know, Jesus comes, and for 1,500 years, so let's say 2,000 years, the Apocrypha are always secondary. Now, why did the Catholic Church add Because Martin Luther. They added those books to counteract the Reformation. The problem, though, is many of the Catholic scholars actually agree with Martin Luther in their writings and say, hey, these books, they're cool to read, but don't listen to them. And in fact, many of the people from the early church history, Origen, Athanasius, even Jerome, who translated the Latin Vulgate, that was the, the major Bible around the world for years and years and years, he said, over my dead body are these apocryphal books, scripture. Yeah. Right? So why did the Catholic Church add it to the scripture in 1546 at the Council of Trent, and even uh, reaffirmed it in Vatican I and Vatican II, which I think was uh, the 60s, I think it was uh, Vatican I, right? Is because Martin Luther said, scripture alone is our authority. Catholic Church has always said, scripture and tradition are the authority. Now, they add, most of the Apocrypha they add to their collection. One of them is uh, the book of 1st and 2nd Maccabees, and it's in 2nd Maccabees where you get the idea of purgatory. So they, they have this, this concept of purgatory that you can't find in Scripture, right? Um, and praying for the dead, right, that's what's... That's what's found in, in their, um, in their uh, and there's other weird things too that are written. Like for example, there's a book called uh, Bell and the Dragon. And Bell, the, Bell and the Dragon, in fact you can, you can read it in your Catholic version. It's about a pagan priest named Bell who tried to deceive Daniel by using, and listen to this. <laughs> so he's a priest, right? And priests bring out food to offer for their God, right? So, here in this story, Bell is deceiving Daniel. So, they're putting Bell, B-E-L, in the time of Daniel. And he tries to trick Daniel to say, no, our God eats the food. And so, he puts a trap door <laughs> in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the floor um, to have his people come and sneak in and grab the food or eat the food themselves and say, our God did that. So that's, that's in that story. Craziness. Um, you have uh, other just strange teachings that are in, um, that are in uh, these books as well. And some are you know, fun to read and everything, but they're not scripture. Who's supposed to have written the Apocrypha? It depends on the book. So there's all there's there's Tobit, there's Judith, there's uh, First Second Maccabees, there's Fell and Dragon, there's Susanna, which was kind of weird because she's like this. Um, oh boy, uh, I lost, I lost my because I read it last night. In fact, uh, just so the different authors, right? Um, and what's interesting is is the Apocrypha circulated even in the early church for many years. And the early church had a lot of books circulating, right? But all the church fathers always designate as secondary. Um, 
Augustine wanted to include it into the New Testament, or into the Old Testament rather, only because of long, the longevity that had been circulating for so many years, not because of any doctoral teachings or there, you know, so he kind of pushed for that, but there was a lot of church fathers that are completely opposed to that, you know, and so, um, and so the reason why the Catholic Church re- uh, does it is they respond to Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation and say, well, we're going to contract your teachings and stick this in, and so that's where you have, you know, among other things, purgatory, <clears throat> which, remember Jesus tells the story of of the rich man and Lazarus. Mm-hmm. Okay, that that story, uh, which is in what, Luke, um, is it Luke sixteen. Go to Luke sixteen. Look at Luke sixteen. Yeah, you guys know. Who, who doesn't not know the story? If you don't know it, I'm just gonna paraphrase it. Two guys. Two guys died. A rich man dies, and a very poor, very poor man dies. The rich man is taken to hell, or Hades. The poor man is taken to what's called Abraham's bosom. He's in paradise. He's in comfort. Look at uh, verse 22. Now it happened that the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. You talk about what hell is like? That's a, that is one, one small, that's a picture of hell. That's how, now listen to Abraham's statement here. The child, remember... That during this during your life you received your good things and likewise Lazarus, not the same Lazarus that Jesus rose from the dead. That's just a different Lazarus. His buddy is a different one. He had bad things. Now he is in comfort here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between us, uh, between us and you, there's a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you are not able, and none may cross from there to us. Now here's the implication. You're there and you're not getting out. You're there and you're in fl- agony and you're in flames and you're not getting out. My grandmother used to light candles at the Catholic Church with the belief that she was taking off years of somebody's purgatory suffering. <laughs> now that's, we, I, that's, that's sad, but Jesus is teaching. Even if they wanted to escape that, to come over here, they couldn't. Right? Like this is it. And the gospel is beautiful because it's not like either Jesus Christ atones for your sin or you atone for your sin. But guess what? You can never pay that debt, right? Purgatory says, yeah, you can pay it. Well, that, that, that tells me the cross is not necessary if I can pay for my own debt, That's right. right? That's what makes the gospel so beautiful. And, and, uh, and so, anyway, that's... This is also before the time... When Jesus went to the cross and his death, burial, and resurrection. Right. And right. during that period of time is you read Ephesians where he went and preached to those righteous who had died before right. that time. That they had looked ahead for the coming of the Messiah. And Jesus went and preached to them 
and it says in Ephesians that he led them from captivity. Mm-hmm. And, and this is why, uh, you know, this is Lazarus was in paradise. Right. Remember Jesus on the cross said to the priest, Today you shall be with me in paradise. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so once the completion of the work of Calvary, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we got a whole different ballgame. Right. <laughs> well, that's why you think about it, the veil was torn. Yeah. That's the, the thick curtain that separated us from the presence of God was torn for a reason. Because now we have access to God Amen. through Jesus Christ, not through Mary or Joseph or anybody else, which I have high regard for the, for the older saints. But, you know, it's through Jesus. And that's why the gospel... And it's interesting that Martin Luther... You know, you realize when, when, he, uh, when he, he nailed the, uh, the 95 Theses on the church door of Wittenberg, yeah. it was like a bulletin board for... You would have discussion with fellow scholars, and it was like, hey, let's have a discussion about these things I'm seeing. And it wasn't meant to be spread around, but some students got hold of it. And because of the print, printing press that was just invented a few years before, it went viral. <laughs> right? And Martin Luther, you know, found himself in this, I mean, in deep trouble, basically. And he wanted to, of course, you know, um, argue against their, and so they had their scholars. But his friends actually had to kidnap him. And hide him. They kidnapped him. He was on the road somewhere, and they, they didn't know what was going on until they finally, you know, let him. You know, he's in this castle or this room somewhere, and it was there that he was able to write the Bible and translate the New Testament and later write the Old Testament into German, common language, because you couldn't. People didn't understand the Bible. It was written in Latin, and nobody, if you were educated, you could read the Bible. Having what we're doing right now was unheard of, right? Mm-hmm. Have a Bible study. Nah. You're not qualified to open up the Bible. Yeah. And so they kept the people in, uh, in ignorance and everything. So Martin Luther, he says, I, hey, listen, I'm, I'm standing on the Word of God. You show me in Scripture where it says, and I'll, you know, and he had to change his whole, you know, his whole upbringing. He was devoted to Mary. He was devoted as a, as a priest, as a monk. And he was, but God used him obviously to, to bring about uh, what we're, where we're at today. So, Many of the apocryphal uh, uh, contradict scripture. Uh, some teach salvation by, by works. Yeah. Uh, some are just completely wrong in, in their theology and also in their history. Uh, for example, the book of Tobit, it says that, during, that Tobit lived during the Assyrian conquest of 722 and also against the uh, revolt against Judah in 931, which would make him 209 years old, but history tells us that he lived until 158. So there's contradictions there, and there's all, all kinds of errors with, uh, with other books as well. And my, my, my trump card is <laughs> Jesus never referred to it in Scripture. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, so far so good? Yes. Okay. Let's go to uh, let's go to the New Testament. Yay. Now the New Testament. Yay. It's smaller. <laughs> now why is the New Testament great? Well, for one thing, let's think about this. Um, the apostles, right? Right. Uh, they're the you know the first they're they're and the, and the disciples they're they're commissioned by Christ. 
to spread the word, right? Well, what they had to say was very valuable, right? They were with Jesus, you know. You have some of the early church fathers that were actually disciples of one, like John had Polycarp, and uh, I think Athanasius and a few others who were his disciples. Can you imagine sitting and having John, the, the guy who had his head on Jesus' bosom, at the Last Supper, the, the John, the beloved, who took care of his mom, Mary, right? As your mentor? Can you imagine that? And make a deep impression. And make a huge impression, no doubt. So one reason why you have to write here says you have to collect what these guys are saying. And by the way, they're starting to die. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Persecution is going on. John, thank the Lord, he didn't die, although they tried to kill him, but many of the disciples are starting to die. So they had a need to say, hey, we need to start collecting what they experienced. By the way, if you look at the book of Acts, um, in fact, go to the book of Acts. Go to Acts real fast. Acts 2 or 3, I think. And I'm probably getting ahead of myself, but, um, yeah. So, like, in Acts, 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 uh, Acts 1, rather, Acts chapter 1. If you read the book of Acts, there's a, there's a phrase that's repeated throughout. I'm pointing out to you right now. Watch this. Look at verse 21. Acts 1, 21. Y'all there? Yeah. Therefore... It is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Stop right here. Okay, they're deciding who can we have to replace Judas. Mm-hmm. So they're saying, it's necessary we pick somebody that has been with us these last three years. Verse 22, beginning with the baptism of John. Oh, stop right there. There wasn't just 12 that followed Jesus. There was multitudes. There was 70 Plus, on the outer circles, but the inner was, you know, the 12 and the 3 and everything. So they say, we need to pick one of these guys who've been with us since the baptism until the day he was taken up from us. One of these must become, here's the key word, a witness mm-hmm. with us of his resurrection. If you read Acts, this phrase, witness, witness, witness. So in order to be an apostle, you had to have witness the resurrected Jesus Christ. This is why Paul gets a pass. <laughs> because the resurrected Jesus Christ visits him. This is why Joseph Smith doesn't get a pass. Because he wasn't visited by Jesus. And he also was way after the fact as it is anyway. Right? So this is crucial. The New Testament is has to be written within the, the, the lifespan of the early apostles. Right? So the need for it was, first of all, what they had to say was valuable. It's, it's, it was, you know, inspired from God. Uh, many of them are starting to get old or die or, or be persecuted. And so they had to, a lot of them, every apostle was killed for their faith except for John. So they had to, they had to preserve what they had to say. And then the early church had demands. They said, well, what are we supposed to follow? What teaching do we follow? What's true? What's false? What's right? You know, what's 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 our ruler, right? And so that's another need. They had to. They had ethical demands. They had theological demands. Uh, questions about teaching, about how to live. Um, 
And then they also had to combat the false teachers. I said this last week on Sunday, how Paul talks to the, uh, the Ephesian elders, how, how false teaching would come in right after he left. And if you look at the epistles, there was this, and the early, a lot of the epistles are written to oppose false teaching. Like in John, 1 John, 2 John, 3rd, uh, one of the first, third, first John, he talks about, you know, uh, oh boy, I'm getting my head up, have myself here. <laughs> go to 1 John, let's just go there. Is everyone here with me? Yeah. Good. trying to combat false teaching. Yeah. Uh, one of the false teachings they had to combat, it was called Gnosticism. Gnosticism, was that? Um, yeah, this, so I just did write some of these down. This, they're actually coming to my head right now, and I just can't remember the reference. But one of the major false teaching was Gnosticism, which means that the Gnostic, Gnosis means knowledge. And so we had the secret. Pedro, I'll give you some secret knowledge about how you really get into Jesus. All right? <laughs> And, and so, you know, it's one thing that was set up there, but then it's the secret stuff that I can share with you to get in, right? And a lot of these Gnostics deny that Jesus physically resurrected. A lot of them deny that Jesus physically died. You know, all this, there's this crazy stuff. And so the early church is combating against this tidal wave of terrible teaching. Which, when we talk about the New Testament Apocrypha and Pseudepigrapha, a lot of those writings are Gnostic writings. <laughs> They're very contrary to what the Scripture says. Okay? So, the, so we had to have the, the, the New Testament rewritten to combat against false teachings. And, of course, if you're spreading the gospel to other countries and other lands, you need to have Scripture, and then you need somebody to translate right into your language. So he's like, we have a word of God. Well, where is it? Well, I, okay, here it is. Well, can I read it in my language? Yes. So there's that development, okay? What about uh, in First John chapter 4, verse 1? Yes. See, yeah, I know it was there. Believe not every spirit. Here it is, verse 2. Verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Yes. Yeah. Okay, that's what's called uh, docetism. Docetism means that Jesus appeared to come in the flesh. This is crazy stuff. And here's the reason why. Okay, can I I'll teach you a little bit deeper here? Gnostics believe, and docetists believe, that everything material was evil. So they believe that that the created universe was created by not the ultimate God, but sort of an emanation from him. And so for them, a bodily resurrection was a no-no. Why would you want to return to this material world? It's evil. Everything material is evil, you know? By the way, they had a hard time, they had a hard time with women giving birth because <laughs> you're bringing a new life and it's physical, Right? And so they would deny any physicality. Their, their goal was to be free of your body. 
Now, here's the thing. All of us want to go to heaven, right? But you know our ultimate destiny is to have a new body. We're not meant to be disembodied spirits. So Jesus Christ, when he rises from the dead, he rises bodily in a 2.0 version (laughs) that passes through walls and does wonderful things, right? That somehow he's in heaven right now with that same body existing in heaven. So we're going to get that body. He's he, he's the proto, he's the the first fruits, right? Yes. Amen. So we're looking forward to being reunited with some sort of and Paul uses a new word, pneumaticos, a spiritual body that somehow you can touch, you can touch and see, touch and feel, and eat like Jesus eats and fries fish for his disciples. Can you imagine the fried fish? Was it fried? Maybe it was fried, boiled, whatever it is. You know, Catholics say it's fried fish. You know, it was fish, right? My point is, the Docetists and the Gnostics, they would not have any do with it. They'd think that was wrong. And that comes from Plato. Plato had, had his ideas as well. So, so, body of the resurrection, material universe is not bad. God made it. It's good, right? Okay. So when were these books written? Well, somewhere between 48 and 100 A.D., First of all, you have the epistles, the letters that were written, and of course they were accepted pretty early on. We know that Paul even recognized that his writing was scripture. Um, go to uh, go to First Thessalonians chapter two. I'm just going to read you one, maybe two. This is a bunch of scripture. Paul understood that his writings were scripture. First Thessalonians chapter two. Verse 13. Paul says, And for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as word of the word of men, but for what really is the word of God, which also is at work in you who believe. So the implication there is they recognize what they're sharing is the word of God. That's Paul writing. First Corinthians, uh, First Corinthians 14. Go there real fast. First Corinthians 14. In verse 37. This is Paul writing again. First Corinthians 14, 37. He says, If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual... Let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's command. That's Paul saying, yeah, what I write to you, that's the Lord's command. So he recognizes his own writing in Scripture. Peter also references this in 2 Peter 3.16. You can just write that down. He recognizes Paul's writing as Scripture. We know that the early church fathers accepted Paul's letters even at the end of the first century. Clement of Rome comments in 8095 to take up the, the epistle of the blessed apostle Paul. The implication that Paul's letter was to be authoritative. Okay, this is 95 AD. Okay, John writes Revelation about 980. You're talking like super early, okay? <laughs> Other
other letters were also referenced by the early church fathers, which I'll stop, you know, I won't get into much. The Gospels, the first Gospel written was the Gospel of Mark in about 60 AD. Okay, let me just say something. We're used to things happening like this, right? Right now, we can click a button and find out what's going on in the world, okay? Obviously, it wasn't like that back then. Yeah. Things took time, right? We know that, in fact, not just Mark... We know from Paul's epistles, 1 Corinthians, that he quotes sayings and hymns that, that were established within months of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. So some of the things that Paul quotes in his letters, like say 1 Corinthians, he quotes a saying that was around, that the early church established. 1 Corinthians 15, you can look at that. So we know that they had creeds that were established within months. They had to decide, what are we believing in? Right? Jesus died according to the scripture, right? He was buried, he was raised. That was handed to Paul from somebody else. He didn't get that on his own. It was already established in the church. Because mm-hmm. they had to be really crystal clear, what are we believing? What are we worth dying for? What is worth dying for? The ultimate thing is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's within months. But Mark writes his gospel by by 60 AD, right? He say, well, that takes a long, that's a long time, and, you know, errors, no, 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 okay. When I was growing up, the saying was, when my mom was, was adult, everyone knew where they were when Kennedy was assassinated, right? <laughs> My mom could tell me exactly where she was at. My age, I knew exactly where I was when the space shuttle blew up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was in Mrs. Beauchamp's marketing class at Moon Valley High School. So there's those memorable things. So here's the thing. Memorable things like that. And if I came in or somebody came in and said, no, JFK died of cancer. They would say, you're a nut. (laughs) Everyone saw... Him being shot. Everyone saw the, you know, the spatial. So that protects from some crazy things getting in to the story. So the time delay doesn't, because they had enough people say, uh, that's not what it did. So Mark writes the gospel. Not, Mark's not a gospel. He's not an apostle, but he's associated with apostle. Mark is associated with Peter, just like Luke is associated with Paul. He travels with Paul and Mark, you know. And so the New Testament has to be written by one of the apostles or somebody closely associated, like, like, a, like a Mark or a Peter, or even James. The book of James is written by Jesus' half-brother, who, after the resurrection, becomes a believer, and he actually becomes uh, the, 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 the leader of the church. They consult with James for advice. And Jude... His favorite song was Hey Jude, right? (laughs) Jude, or Judah, Jude was also a brother of Jesus. Okay, so you got Jesus' brothers who didn't believe him during the life, but resurrection comes around, and guess what? They died as well for their faith. Right? So, the criteria for writing the New Testament, it had to have been written by somebody with apostolic authority, like an apostle or somebody associated. In fact, we know that Jesus, when he he commissions them, he talks about the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit that the Father will send, he will teach you all things, and he'll bring to remembrance everything I said. 
the first audience is the apostle's wife, because they're going to need to remember what was said so they can write them down yeah. and share the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why even in the book of Acts, Acts 2.42, it says they were devoting themselves to what? The apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread and prayer, which basically is the best model of doing a church, right? Okay. So a couple of more uh, other criteria. Was the book written by an apostle or associate apostle? Was it confirmed by some sort of... Uh, there's oftentimes there's signs that often accompany the apostles. And you can read that book of Acts. All kinds of wonderful signs that accompany the apostles. Um, the book had to have been true and not contradict the rest of Scripture. By the way, you know, Scripture is one book. It's Bible actually means many books, but it's one compilation. Different languages, three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Aramaic looks just like Hebrew, but it's a different language. Different continents, but it's one story, right? Genesis to Revelation, it's one story. Genesis and Revelation, they kind of end and begin very similar, right? Tree of life here, tree of life here. Difference is the fall here has been restoration, right? One story. Um, The scripture and the New Testament as well had to display the power of God. You hear stories of people being saved through reading the book of Romans, book of John. Who's your favorite book? Book of John? Book of Romans? There's certain books, the book of James. I read the book of John, and I think I got born again reading that book. There's power in the Word of God, right? So that's the, the, the testimony of when you read it, it doesn't read, it doesn't read like the book, like like a, a man-made book. So, like, if you read the Apocryphal books, there's a different, it feels like a man-made book. When you read Scripture, there's something that happens, right? There's a power. That's why we teach the Word of God, right? It nourishes the soul, okay? And was the book accepted by the early church? And, you know, it took a while for some books to be accepted, but for the most part, they all got accepted, right? And I don't get into all the details, by the way, I have I have uh, books I can recommend that go that go this thick and the whole development of the Bible. Hey, let me show you something. Talk about this. Hold on, just a little pause. Well, let me show you this one. This is a 17th century Torah scroll, so 1600s. That's written on. Animal skin, basically, right? And uh, mm-hmm. can, uh, pass it around here. Just... I'll just go around. I'll do a band of white. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's interesting about. So, this is an original. This is from a synagogue that would use this. This is, and it's uh, from Leviticus chapter 5, the trespass offering from the 17th century Torah scroll. Now, oh, here's. Just come to you, I bought it. Oh, you bought it. Yeah. Some guy that's wondering where. Here's what's interesting. This is Hebrew. You read right to left. Now here's what's interesting is 
you can see it. Look how neat it is, right? See, there's actually lines. But you see how everything's left and right justified? So, oh boy. The last, so, oh boy. I wish I had a screen here, I don't. So, you see this, uh, looks like a big long rectangle. Okay. That's the same letter as this, like this square thing. So, here's what they would do. So they would make sure it started on the left side, or right to left, right to left, started here, ended here. And if the, if there wasn't, if the word ended here, they would make the last letter longer to end it. And they also knew, they counted how many letters and words, and the whole, everything, everything had its precise place. So they knew where everything was supposed to go. Anyway, this is a, yeah, little Hebrew scroll there. And, uh, yeah, I'll, you can look at it later on. Oh. And then I have one from the New Testament, which was the dates off of it. It's probably Middle Ages or something like that. I forget how it is. Maybe, maybe it's a couple hundred years ago, but it's New Testament. The idea is, yeah, anyway. All right, where were we at? Bible. Bible. <laughs> Good job. Okay, so... Old Testament, right? We got that. Hey, God stopped speaking. <laughs> Everybody recognizes. We're looking forward to Elijah to come. 400 years later, John the Baptist. He is Elijah. You can receive him, right? These books in between, always secondary. Always secondary. Profitable, you know, they said, hey, it's useful for church, you know, for edification and things, but never on this level. Catholic Church suddenly raises the Apocrypha to inspire Scripture, and they said, if anyone disagrees with them, with this, let him be anathema. Now, that's fighting words right there. Now, their own cardinals, a couple of their scholars and their cardinals, even just a few years before, disagreed with that statement. They raised the Apocrypha to the level of inspired Scripture that the Jews didn't even do. That's important. In Jesus' day, those were just extra writings. I'm going to stick with Jesus' day. Yes. <laughs> and say, hey, you agree to gratification and stuff, but don't listen to it as if it's your, your scripture. Right? I, have a, I have a Catholic Bible. Okay. And there is a disclaimer in there that says that those books are not considered to be Inspired. Really? Yeah, there's a disclaimer in it. Is it like the um, American Bible or the uh, Jerusalem Bible? I don't know. I, don't know. I might be the American. Because the Vatican wanted Vatican to reaffirm what Trent, or what the Council of Trent said. Because I, you know, I read about these things, but that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. Well, I hope they got away with that. <laughs> there's a lot of things going on for today. Um. So here's a couple things. So now you have, I'm going to finish up. You guys, oh my goodness. You guys are very patient. You got 10 more minutes. I got 10 more minutes. And I, I, I knew I'd been up more than I could shoot, but I wanted to address this. And so, New Testament, there's Apocrypha. Apocrypha means hidden writings. And there's also a section of books called the Pseudopigrapha. Pseudopigrapha, you know, like pseudonym, false name. Okay? 
these books are written in as if St. Thomas wrote it, or Mary wrote it, or James. They're called like the Gospel of John, or the Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Mary, Gospel. But they're not. They're written too late. They adopt the name so they can sell. <laughs> you sell more books if you say, you know, hey, Thomas wrote this book. <laughs> All right? And those books are written way too late. They're written 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th centuries. They were never accepted as scripture. In fact, uh, many of them are kind of crazy uh, in their teaching. Can I read you some samples? Okay. Gospel of Thomas, that was a Gnostic gospel, has about 114 sayings of Jesus. And it begins with these words. These are the secret words. There's the Gnostic thing. The secret words which the living Jesus spoke and Didymus, Judas Thomas, wrote them down. Now listen to how the Gospel of Thomas ends. Because this is actually kind of, not awkward, but kind of uh, not relevant, but sort of like, listen to this. This is what Gospel of Thomas ends like this. Simon Peter said to them, Let Mary go away from us, for women are not worthy of life. Well, I, I'm like, I think I got to the good part yet. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Stop right there. Right off the bat, that statement tells me it contradicts the rest of the scripture, right? Because who raises women to the highest, to a wonderful status but Jesus Christ, right? Who first sees the risen Jesus but a woman, right? Who gets the privilege of bringing him into the world but a woman, right? Right. And who are his, probably some of his most devoted followers were women. Right? So, right off the bat, I know Thomas, because Thomas knows better than this. This is not Thomas. No. And Jesus said, Lo, I shall lead her so that I may make her a male. Well, they were struggling with that back then, too. <laughs> I shall lead her so that I will make her a male that, listen... That she too may become a living spirit resembling you males. Now, two things. The weirdness of a female becoming a male, but also you notice how they do away with, the, with the, the physicality, so she may become a male spirit, right? Listen to this, last line. I know, she's adorable. <laughs> she's like, I'm the star of the show. I just, I'm just, I just, I'm here to tell you about Jesus. Mama, give me my pinky well, back. Talking about women and she's like, I heard some blasphemous comments about my sisters here. <laughs> okay, listen to this. Let me just read. Let Mary go away from us, for women are not worthy of life. And Jesus said uh, to Peter, Lo, I shall lead her. So that she, so that I may make her a male, that she too may become a living spirit, resembling you males. Last line. For every woman who makes herself a male will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Wow. That is so This is nothing. Nothing new under the sun, right? We thought transgenderism was brand new. That's satanic back then, it's satanic today. Yeah. Oh, that's a whole other, you know. You have to become a, the women have to become men to go to the kingdom of heaven. Wow. 
Okay. Um, I wonder what Nicodemus would have said to that. Yeah, right. Yeah. What? <laughs> Here's one more. I'll, I'll give you a couple more. Gospel of Peter. This book contains Gnostic and Docetic teachings. Docetism means that he appears that Jesus wasn't human, but he only appeared to be human. This book teaches that Pilate was guiltless for the death of Christ, and that Jesus felt no pain when he was crucified. It also, it says, teaches that Jesus referred to the Father as my power. He calls out from the cross, my power, my power, thou hast forsaken me. Very new age song, huh? Yeah, nothing new under the sun, right? In fact, this view uh, views Jesus' brothers and sisters coming from a first marriage of Joseph, a view that's held by the Catholic scholars today. The Catholic Church teaches that Mary was a perpetual virgin. Um, they said after Jesus, he didn't have any other children. Say again? The Catholic Church says after Jesus, Mary didn't have any other Right. Yeah, that Mary and Joseph didn't have sex, which would have been grounds for probably divorce, you know. Of course, that teaching didn't come out until centuries later by the Catholic Church. That wasn't really a good thing either. Um, Gospel of the Egyptians, which was an uh, ancient writing, uh, perhaps Gnostic, second century, presents a dialogue between Jesus and a female disciple named Salome. Gospel of the Egyptians encourages all believers to practice celibacy. Well, you can't multiply and fill the earth if you do that. Um, Coptic Gnostic, the Coptic Gospel of the Egyptians, late third century, teaches that Jesus is a reincarnation of Seth, the third son of Adam and Eve. The infancy gospel of James, late 2nd century AD, supposedly written by James, speaks about the life of Mary, and according to this document, Mary, the mother of Jesus, remained a virgin throughout her life. So that crept in really early. Uh, The whole devotion to Mary, I think it has history in the the ancient um, mystery religions that um, I don't have time to get into. Two or three more things, okay? Gnostic Gospel of Judas. Suppose account of the life of Jesus in which Judas Iscariot is portrayed as the heroic figure commanded by Jesus to act as a betrayer. In other words, Judas, I want you to do this thing for me. I want you to betray me, and you're the hero of the story. Coptic accomplice of Peter. Gnostic writing for 3rd century A.D. Here, Peter clearly denies that Jesus had a physical body, declaring that the one whose hands and feet they nailed to the cross was only a fleshly substitute. There's that Gnostic, Gnostic thing again. <laughs> and finally, the uh, the infancy gospel of Thomas. I'm, I'm going to give you like 10 of them. There's like, there's like 30, 40 more. There's a lot. The infancy gospel of Thomas, an account of the childhood of Jesus, supposedly written by the apostle Thomas, but actually written long after his death. In the text, the boy Jesus uses miraculous powers for his own benefit. There's a whole, I can give you, here's the thing. Those of us familiar with the scripture, we read these things and it's quite obvious, right? Why? Because we're so used, we know what the scripture says, and we know 
boy, that smells really funny. Because it doesn't fit the rest of the story. Alright? Now, if you're a Christian who's not familiar with, with the teachings of the Gospels, or you've gone away from that, no wonder Satan can introduce heresy secretly if you're not in the Word of God, right? And there's things going on in the church today. Satan hasn't stopped attacking. He's still, he's still going at He's reproducing some of the old things he's done before. Yeah. All right. So anyway, any questions? I know we're late. I know this is more of a lecture, but I think it was important. Really important to. Uh, I'm, I'm satisfied with what's here. You know. By the way, some people that want to add to the Word of God, I would say to this, because they say, "Well, what about the other book? What about this? What if they find something? All this crazy stuff." Why are you so worried about the exception when you're having to follow the rule here? Yeah. All right? You, you follow what's actually been written, you know? And don't worry about what's excluded. It's excluded for a reason, because God wants to keep the truth pure, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Praise God. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We are grateful that you inspired your scriptures, and you gave us a wonderful book, Lord. I mean, you could have written a book that was five times as large, and that's manageable, Lord. That's still... Lord, we can, we, can, we can skim along the surface and go snorkeling, or we can go deep sea diving, and yet we would be blessed no matter what, Lord. Your word is truth. Your word is good. And Lord, we just thank you for that the scriptures we hold our hand, Lord, we can have confidence that these are your words. Lord, help us to be people that people of the book, people of the word. Lord, we recognize it's authority of our life, Lord. We want to submit to you, Lord. And help us, Lord, to read it eagerly, expectantly, anticipating the things you would say. Lord, I pray your blessing on everyone here. Thank you for Moses and Christabel, thank you, Lord, for their, their graciousness. Yes. Lord. Would you bless everyone here um, these next few days, Lord? We have men's and ladies' groups on Saturday, and we have church on Sunday, Lord. We just want to thank you, Lord. I just thank you for each person here, Lord. Each person is a gift from you. Each person here is loved by you. And, Lord, we just want to, we, we just want to praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.